You're listening to the CXMH Podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Hey, welcome back to the show. My name is Robert Vore, and I'm one of your hosts. I'm joined, as always today, by my co-host, my wonderful co-host, Dr. Aww. Holly Oxhandler. How, hi, hey, Holly. Hi, Robert. <laughs> I know. I went back to the old way of asking you how you are I immediately. Know. I forgot this bit. On this week's episode, mm-hmm. we talk with Lisa Colon delay about spiritual practices, learning from diverse voices, and navigating the wild land of our interior lives. But first, mm. how are you today, Holly? I'm doing all right. I'm doing good. I'm. I know you and I were just talking about some fun plans that I know y'all have coming up, and that our family has coming up, and um, I yeah. think those are giving me some hope these days. So. doing okay yeah how are you doing about the same yeah as you i'm Mm. definitely looking forward to uh some some plans some like at least a change of scenery and you know uh, yes getting getting out of kind of the same uh, little bit of routine here uh obviously in in safe and and distanced ways yes Um, right right looking forward to that uh still have a couple days to go here this week to to get to that but that's that's all right so yeah doing doing well that's so, good. That's good. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you said you had a segue. I was going to ask some kind of question about like, <laughs> if you'd ever gotten lost in the wilderness or something. But uh, if you have one that you would rather do, we can, you know. No, 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 no. Go for it. I mean, you, you, you asked your question. I was just clumsily like thinking of segue in terms of like practices and rituals and like my yeah. need for control. But mm. I like yours better. So let's go with yours. Okay. Well, <laughs> hey, I was going to ask, uh, since we're going to be talking about kind of exploring the wild land of our, mm-hmm. our interior terrain, so to speak, uh, I don't know if I've ever asked, you know, are you like a big camping person or anything like that? Mm. But I'm curious, have you ever kind of gotten lost in some type of like weird terrain, right? Like, oh, no, I'm in the middle of a desert or a forest or, you know, <laughs> something like that, where it was like, oh, gosh, now I have to kind of figure this out. Yeah. Um, and how to yeah. get out of this. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think in terms of like a forest or a desert, no, I have not gotten lost in one of those, but we're not, (laughs) you know, we're not big camping. We're not a big camping family or anything. So, but I have certainly felt that sense of feeling lost in terms of like when I tend to take on more than I can feasibly tackle and will kind of be saying those same things to myself like, oh my gosh, how do I get out of this? How do I navigate this? Where do I go? Mm. Like, what do I do? So it hasn't been like in a particular terrain, but when I think about like the projects and things that I'm doing and juggling, I will definitely feel that sense of like, oh my goodness, how do I move through this? Yeah. Yeah. So what about you? Have you ever gotten lost? I have. I definitely (laughs) have. have. Uh, When I was, yeah, when I was younger, we went camping Uh and hiking and stuff like that a lot. And I definitely remember at least one time in particular. I know there was more than that, but there's at least one where I can think of where you know me and two of my little friends went off exploring or whatever, and then all of a sudden thought, oh gosh, we have no idea how to get back. And so Mm. you know, you're just in the middle of a forest or whatever. And I think we had whistles, you know, just to uh, to help. And so I, you know, I think we tried to figure it out for a while. And then at some point started blowing whistles. And uh, I remember my dad kind of coming out of the woods, like, here I am, you know. Um, (laughs) So, but I'm sure there was, there was plenty of that back in kind of my single digit to early double digit lifetime. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
That's awesome. So. That reminds me, we just recently watched um, Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey. Do you remember that movie from like back in the 90s? I do remember that movie. <laughs> yes, I watched it a bunch when I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> me too. Me too. So um, we just watched that recently with the kids. And it's so funny because when the movie started, our kids were like, mm, we don't want to watch this. This is not going to be good. You know, blah, blah, blah. Mm. But like now they are asking for it constantly they like like they Hmm. just loved that movie so just hearing just hearing from some of your experience which I'm so glad that you were found that your dad found you and that you know thank goodness (laughs) um but yeah it just made me think of that movie because it's like our kids have just been obsessed with it lately so Hmm. anyways that's funny we just watched with gray for the first time the land before time which has kind of a Mm -hmm. similar like Mm -hmm. you know small group of animals trying to find their way Mm -hmm. back to wherever and that movie by the way is traumatic so don't you know just some <laughs> some really heavy scenes right towards the beginning and i, know. I had forgotten yep. they were there so uh, yep. anyway yeah it is yep well speaking of dinosaurs uh speaking of uh <laughs> wild terrain and learning how to navigate mm-hmm. some places that maybe we haven't navigated before uh, mm-hmm. as i mentioned at the top we talk with lisa cologne delay about her new book the Wild Land Within, Cultivating Wholeness Through Spiritual Practice. Uh, and she uses that metaphor kind of throughout, right, of the the unexplored places within us and mm-hmm. navigating through some of that through particularly these, these I think it's eight or nine spiritual practices that she right. writes about. So well, we will get out of the way and let, let y'all listen to our conversation with Lisa Cologne DeLay. All right. Enjoy y'all. All right, today we are so excited to be joined by Lisa Cologne DeLay. She is a teacher, a spiritual director, and the host of Spark My Muse, a top-rated religion and spirituality podcast. Originally from Puerto Rico, DeLay has uh, an MA in spiritual formation and has taught in many settings, and her work has appeared in several anthologies, dozens of places in print and online, all sorts of stuff. She lives with her family outside of Philadelphia, and she's also the author of the new book, very, like, less than, I guess, uh, less than a week old as we're recording this, uh, The Wild Land Within, Cultivating Wholeness Through Spiritual Practice, which we're going to talk about today. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us. Is there anything else that our listeners should know about you before we kind of dive in? Hmm. Well, thank you so much for having me on and for your interest in this book, um, things people should know about me. Hmm. Probably, or just fun facts or anything. Probably not. Mm. I just got a new, I just got a job at a startup just yesterday. And this is really a new thing that I think will wind up helping creators, um, authors, writers, academics a lot. And there's going to be more news about it as we get a beta version of this web-based software environment coming out. But I'm just so excited. I'm I was like, where were you when I was writing my book? (laughs) It's going to save so much time for research-dense projects. And so this is a really nice pairing of what I already do with also helping other people streamline their process and collaborate really well. So that's a really new, new thing. And um, I would say, yeah, I've been podcasting for about six years and about 380 plus episodes at sparkmymuse.com. And yeah, just thrilled to be here. Thank you. 
That's awesome. Well, I'm super excited to hear about that startup when you are <laughs> able to <Yeah. laughs> just share that just um, from my own vantage point as a researcher mm-hmm. and academic and writer. So absolutely. Anyways, but yeah, we are so excited to have you on the show Yeah. Uh, this week, Lisa. Thank you so, so much for joining us. The first question, I think we would love to hear a little bit more from you about um, to kind of kickstart our conversation is that it does seem like in the modern age, you know, we do see some surveys that capture some of this data that we tend to be less inclined toward spiritual practices or things like Mm -hmm. these regular rhythms, especially around spirituality. So Mm -hmm. can you tell us a little bit about why spiritual practices are so important in the first place? That's a really good question. And also, what is considered spiritual practice is a whole another question. So so what a lot yeah. of us might be used to, if, if we're in a Christian upbringing, let's just say, just for the sake of argument, what is considered a spiritual practice might be something like going to church or reading your Bible or praying. And there's thousands upon thousands of things that can qualify as spiritual practices. And they're really things that connect us to being more alive. And they can be spiritual practices that are not Christian ones, that's just connected to our aliveness. I think as our society has broken down in certain ways, institutionally, uh, not having as much trust in our typical institutions over the last 20 to 50 years, Things like rituals and spiritual practices have an extremely grounding effect in our life, but yet, especially in American Christianity, it's kind of the toddler on the scene of Christianity, and it's not as deeply rooted Mm -hmm. in some of these traditional, uh, very old and ancient historic practices of the Christian church that are rooted in, you know, millennia ago that some of us... uh, you may or may not. I'm not saying you have to do spiritual practice or everything's gone wrong, but a lot of people find them very grounding, uh, very centering, calming, because they open us up to an awareness of the presence of the divine. Hmm, that's so good. I yeah. love even just how you emphasize that spiritual practices, you know, how they're connected to our aliveness and um, and help us come more alive. I think that's beautiful. Hmm. Um, yeah. No, that's so good. Yeah. So right towards the beginning of the book, something that jumped out at me, right? You uh, mentioned that if spiritual practices haven't seemed to work for you, right? Mm -hmm. Which I know maybe is the case for a lot of folks that they have been told, you know, oh, do this thing, you know, do do this thing three times a day or whatever. uh, And it's caused, you know, kind of anxiety or anger or shame or like, hey, this thing was supposed to work and it it didn't, right? Right. (laughs) Right. Um, But you say that you were even writing with with people with those experiences in mind, right? Mm -hmm. So what would you say uh, if folks are listening who are starting kind of with a sense of skepticism or hesitation based on kind of that that previous experience where it didn't seem to to work how they thought it would or maybe were told it should. That's an awesome question, and this is exactly why I wrote the book. I didn't see any books out there that dealt with the reality of, hey, guess what happens when you start calming down and quieting down mm. and allowing God to work? Mm. Um, it doesn't actually get necessarily beautiful that actually God will bring up things. Thoughts will come up of old pain. Thoughts will come up in being insecure. 
anger might come up and people start to, if they're not ready for that, if, if they're not connected with perhaps a spiritual uh, wise elder or a spiritual director, they might get really spooked and, and feel like they're failing or feel like they've done something wrong or, gosh, this doesn't work at all. I'm going to run away from this thing. And that's completely normal that those things might come up and they're not doing the spiritual practice around that's part of the process of this undoing or this harrowing in the garden of our heart. And so with, um, I wanted to address that head on because I've felt like the, there's so many books out there. Hey, try pray the hours and here's Lexio Divina and, and here's the examen prayer, all wonderful practices that I do myself and I find great comfort in them, but not at first I didn't. <laughs> and there's a story um, of other people having many stories of other people having these same sorts of problems. There was uh, a woman who went to a spiritual director and, and she was taught the examen prayer and the examen prayer is a kind of, inventory prayer for people who aren't aware of this. Um, it's very old. It's it's uh, a kind of way to just review your day and try to understand where you saw God's presence or noticed God in your day, and then where you might have not noticed God or maybe sinned or erred or would like to go back. And, and you, as you review your day, you become habituated to noticing God in your life each day in all the little moments. Instead of mm. living this kind of dual life where you check in with God now and then, you realize, oh, God's actually literally in and through me, all around me, in God's presence is here. It's just whether I'm awake to it or not. And so as you do these practices mm -hmm. of examen, at the end of the prayer, you ask God, you know, show me where you are each day. And, and also, as a corrective, if I start going off in a direction, allow your Holy Spirit to to correct me. Well, this woman who began to do the examen prayer, and she was overcome with shame and just devastated and felt like, wow, I have screwed up like 20 times today. And I feel like, mm. is this even worth doing? Mm. I feel horrible. I feel so just, God must be so disappointed with me. And I am disappointed in myself, even if God isn't, I feel like a total failure. Mm. And the woman said, that's not what the examine prayer is for at all. It's not a judgment. It's not to convict you and make you come to repentance. And it, that's not what it's for at all. It's a loving inventory. It's a non-judgmental inventory of just, just what happened and what didn't. Don't worry about the rest because all you're doing is keeping track of what happened in your day. And this is to just become aware of God's presence. And God nobody knows what happened in your day. And you're just telling God what you remember. And that's the, the rest of it. And here is a book for you. And this is a way to pray the examined prayer in a gentle compassionate way to yourself. And that woman was me. <laughs> I mm. was I was praying the examen and becoming extremely judgmental about myself. I was becoming extremely disappointed. I was being a perfectionist. And the spiritual practice was doing the opposite of what it was supposed to do. It was not drawing me closer yeah. to God. It was making me feel isolated from God. So yeah. we can do spiritual practices in bad ways that malform us. But when we have someone to walk with us, or we know this is this could bring up difficult things if we don't have if the the proper healing first or the proper guidance. Some of these spiritual practices create 
issues, create problems. Mm-hmm. I wanted to create some guidance for that, almost like a spiritual director in book form, in a sense. Mm-hmm. But I also want people to pick up this book and read it as a group or with someone they trust. It's not really worth going into the wildland within alone, just like you might not trek up the Appalachian Trail for a month mm-hmm. all by yourself, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I... I I love this so much, Lisa, and, and so much of what you are saying. I mean, it, it certainly resonates with my experiences of you know practicing centering prayer, mm-hmm. and um, you know, in the beginning of navigating that, just how much surfaces it's. And there are moments where it's mm-hmm. almost like a shipwreck surfaces where mm. you're like, oh, I was not expecting that thing to mm. you know come up in ways that you know the the practice is good, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't stop doing the practice, but that sense of intentionality and being in community and with others and having a guide like your book to help navigate mm-hmm. when things surface unexpectedly mm-hmm. through spiritual practices, mm-hmm. that's just such a gift. I mm-hmm. mean, yeah, yeah, I, I, I really appreciate this. And some of what you're saying too around like that sense of as you are engaging in the spiritual practices, how it can be tempting or easy to fall into the perfectionism and the mm-hmm. the white knuckling through it. And mm. I, it reminds me of, you know, uh, Father Thomas Keating's story about, you know, the woman who came to him and was like, well, I guess I'm not praying, you know, correctly. Mm. And, and he reminds her, well, actually, you know, because she was saying, I, I keep jumping away and not thinking about, um, you know, God. And, and, and he, he says like, well, but this is a reminder to, or an invitation, like mm. how wonderful to be invited to return to God 10,000 times right, for the, right. you know, and yeah. yeah. So anyways, I just really appreciate how you are, um, elevating what arises when we engage in spiritual practices. Yeah. And it's, and as, as you both know, the same sort of thing can happen when you enter into therapy and Mm -hmm. um, you start working on something. People think, wait, therapy was supposed to fix stuff. (laughs) Why is it getting worse? And it's like, Mm -hmm. that's because the process works like that. It's, you're going to notice things you didn't notice before, and that can be rather painful, but that's part of the process. That's good. That's, brings you toward healing you have to get that stuff comes to the surface then it gets mm-hmm. to be um you know the dross gets skimmed off and then maybe more will come up later that's good but we sometimes we are not especially in our affluent culture discomfort is something we hate we run from it anything <laughs> but discomfort or pain no no thank you but i think mm-hmm. that if we just sit with some of the pain and i'm not talking about abusive pain that someone's inflicting on us. I'm just talking about pain and discomfort that comes up in memories or something like that. It doesn't mean um, it's going to feel pretty like psychically yucky, but that also gives us the opportunity to revisit them and include God in the process this time and say, I don't have to remember this as trauma in the same kind of way, because this time I'm realizing that God's with me and God's bringing me to this point because I have more strength and resources now to handle it. And I am aware of God's presence now, but before I was much more powerless. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, good. That's so good. So just there, you mentioned kind of in our culture, we tend to avoid some discomfort. Mm-hmm. And 
85% of our listeners are in the United States, right? And if you uh, include Canada and the United Kingdom, that grows to like 93%. Yeah. You make sure to point out right away in this book how much of our theology and our understanding of things like spiritual practices is kind of a swim in the dominant cultures, right? I think, yes. you know, a quick glance at publishing in Christian circles and kind of psychological circles would show uh, that being the case, kind of like mm -hmm. a heavy uh, white male kind of state, right? So I think we focus a lot in some conversations about, you know, giving different voices a seat at the table as if the only goal of that is for the benefit of the people groups that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And that's obviously super important and a conversation worth having. You make the argument here that it's also critical to our own spiritual formation to have those voices present. Can you touch on why that's so important and then maybe how we can do that when the default is like what exists? Exactly. Um, I talk about what happens in essentially North America, but but any place that has been sort of what we could call white centered or another thing I use, another descriptor I use is empire theology. So this is kind of the dominant, or it's also a cultural thing too, not just a theological thing. But right. um, you know, when when for example, when Europeans came here, they were dominant. They didn't come in and. Uh, say, hey, how can we coexist very peacefully? They said, uh, mm. get out, you savages, and just try to kill them off. So what happens is theology and, and spirituality and religion got, is, is weaponized. And that is the kind of, that is our heritage in this country. And so we have thought, we have tended to think that other spiritualities and theologies are, they have been othered. They have been those people's voices, those pure people's stories and spiritualities and theologies, but not ours or the cultures. And my thought is that that, that is a, obviously a, a very sort of Eurocentric um, delusion, and it's, it's not, doesn't reflect the world, it doesn't reflect global Christianity, it doesn't reflect historic Christianity. And when you go back to just Jesus, you're talking about somebody who's a person of color, somebody who was impoverished under the thumb of the Roman Empire and executed by the empire for insurrection. You're just talking about someone who was one of these othered people and somehow it got turned around um, and became something of a tool for, for authority and power mm. of the state. And this just has continued, this is our legacy now. Uh, so all I'm trying to do is say the gospel and what God is up to comes from these marginalized voices. And it's not to say the other kinds. I'm not saying don't read Bart, don't read all of the other fascinating and powerful theologies, but notice that they are um, male European ones. They're contextual too. Yeah. And go ahead and read them, but that's not systematic theology proper, the other ones should be just as mainstream too. And they they shouldn't be on that shelf with, oh, here's black theologians. Oh, here's feminist theologians. Oh, here's, you know, mm -hmm. whichever, whichever little subgroup we want to tend to put them in. But all of these voices make, a, you know, an orchestra, a choir that of what God is up to. But we can learn, the dominant culture can learn where the soft spot in God's heart is by looking at the oppressed mm. cultures and the theologies and spiritualities that come from them. And I refer to, in the book, Gustavo Gutierrez, who speaks about 
this special kind of liberation theology that comes out of South America. And he came up with some of the first liberation theology. There were other people involved, but he has some of the most recognition for it. And he talks about this idea of God's preferential option for the poor. And in Spanish, it's a little bit of a different translation than we might think in English. It's not a direct translation. But what he really means is God has a soft spot in God's heart. And that that's why God came in that kind of a body. That was to teach us something. And we actually learned the opposite lesson. We, we learned, oh, become the empire. Okay, stomp these people out and make life harder for them, not easier. So what I'm trying to say is let's, let's look at what we've missed. Let's include what we've missed and also prioritize it. Look harder for those voices because they're not going to be favored in the algorithms. You're not going to get to hear... Mm womenist scholars, black women, theologians, they're not going to be at the top of the list. So go find them and do the due diligence. Hmm. Oh, that's so good. And I'll say you, uh, for someone who says, okay, where do I even start, right? You have tons Mm -hmm. of suggestions in that chunk of the book of of folks to go read. So I'll just throw that out there. If someone says, Mm -hmm. oh, I I need some suggestions, you can grab this book and you have have a lot of suggestions uh, as well as obviously the book itself being being great. So, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I would say um, the whole question of, well, I don't, I don't know who that is, or like my, some, I, someone who will remain nameless, who's in my life, who I'm not married to or anything, not, not that close. But someone said, well, there's, there really aren't people. And, and see, that's the lazy oh, thing to say, ouch. right? Yeah. So it's like, well, of course there are, they, you know, they, you, you haven't looked, um, but you can also um, ask people who are there, who are they reading? Ask people who don't look like you, what are you reading? What do you, what's changed your life? Just, just start conversations. And then um, make your book list. I'm to that point. I want to have a resource uh, on my website, lisadelay.com, uh, that will include places to read. Of course, you can read anybody in the book. Read their books. People that I mentioned, definitely great place to start. There are so many though, and I would say if you haven't read um, a person of color in the last six months or a year, there's a problem, and you need to go find somebody to read that doesn't look like you that doesn't come from where you come from and that's the bare minimum so you can find that you just have to start looking and asking questions what do you recommend what would be a good place to start it's really not hard but we've gotten so used to that single note playing all the time of who we listen to and who we've been influenced by that we just think that's normal but it it really isn't normal Mm -hmm. yep no, I appreciate you elevating this, Lisa. It's so important. And we do need to be listening to and learning from diverse voices, especially because they 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 just teach. I mean, we just learn so, so much. So well, to unpack a little bit more around the idea of our land within, you mm-hmm. do point to um, something called the Jahari window, as well as the parable of uh, the four soils. Can you mm-hmm. explain those to us? Sure. Um, well, the Jahari window is a, is a heuristic. It's kind of a something I came across when I was um, educating graduate students, and really, it has. It's kind of a. It would be this would be where it would be nice to see a visual, <laughs> but um, it it's imagine if you will four squares of equal size and shape, just 
together. And in real life, there is no equal size and shape to these. And this just represents what we know and don't know about ourselves. And there's four quadrants that represent this. And it's just a way to understand ourselves a little bit better. And the way I go into it is this heuristic was developed by two psychologists in a way to help people better understand themselves. And the first quadrant is they call it the arena or what's known to ourselves and what's known to others. It's kind of what we can understand about ourselves um, and what other mm. people also know about ourselves. And then there's the second quadrant, which is considered our blind spot. And other people can see this about us, but we can't. And this happens, this is everybody. <laughs> for some people, this is a really big window. Mm -hmm. And um, for other people, you know, maybe not so much. And it changes in our lifetime. And it changes when we uh, do some some work for self-knowledge, maybe we go through a, a real struggle or some kind of suffering, we can, some of these blind spots can become more known to us. And then there's the third quadrant, which is below the first one, not, not really in real life, but it's just a way of understanding. And that's called fa the facade. And this is really interesting one. Um, maybe my, the most intriguing in my opinion, but it we're, it's known to the self, but not known to others. So this is something that we maybe put up a front to appear more intelligent or to uh, impress people or to maybe just to have privacy. It's kind of maybe people don't know certain things about us. So we're not going to reveal certain things, or maybe we are going to reveal certain things that aren't exactly true. And uh, I think of Instagram on this one. <laughs> and so there's mm -hmm. a lot of people. <laughs> That's the <laughs> pinnacle of facade right there. Yes. <laughs> but we all have facades. And um, some it's of almost them like if they were creating this in 2020, that would be called filter. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Yes, thank you. That's perfect. So facade is is part of us. It's part of our interior world or our understanding of ourselves. And some of it's necessary for, for something like boundaries. Like you can't just tell every single person, every single deep, dark secret or insecurity you have. That, that would be bizarre. Um, but at the same time, sometimes we are very insecure or something like that. And we want people to see us a certain way. And so we will create little masquerades, we'll create little, uh, little song and dance, you know, uh, and we all do this to some degree or this. Now, the more wounded we are, the more facade we'll have. And often it's a facade people can actually see right through sometimes. Mm. So, and then the quadrant four is the completely unknown quadrant. And you only know what's in there when one of the other quadrants expands that, that you would, um, that would be revealed. And so that's kind of an understanding. That's just a basic layout of like this wild land within, if you will. But yeah. the, the whole book is really an expansion of Jesus's parable of the four soils. And it kind of explodes the metaphor and puts it into not just four soils, but an entire ecosystem, an entire land with climate and weather systems and everything like that. And Jesus talks about this inner land within us when he speaks about the four soils, which are, if if anybody is not aware, not remembering what these are, or not aware of it, the, the first soil is kind of the, there's a sower who sows seeds. And, and in biblical times, they wouldn't necessarily plow things, you know, in the same ways that we would now. And they would just disperse seeds by throwing them. And what they call a broadcast is that's actually broadcasting is 
part of a, a way to plant. So hmm. the first soil uh, the first soil is trampled in a footpath, and so it's hard as a rock, and it's just not penetrable. So when seeds are dispersed there, they're trampled or their uh, seeds are taken by birds, and they just don't go into the soil at all. That's kind of worthless soil. The other soil is shallow top soil. Underneath there's rocks. So seeds germinate and they, they shoot right up, but the sun comes out and that that signifies suffering or just regular life, actually. And those plants don't have any roots. And so they just wither in the sun and die. They can't get any deeper because there's rock under there. And then there's the weeds and thorns soil. So there's soil that grows up great um, and grows plants really well, but there's weeds and thorns and they choke the life out. And those weeds and thorns signify our cares, our troubles or distractions, uh, all the things in life that can crowd out our relationship with God and our awareness of God's presence. And it's just, it's, you know, if you, it's the life of anxiety and cares and worries and the, and with no place to have it be well with your soul. And, and then there's a good soil. <laughs> so it's the time that it, it works. You know, it's the time that everything's there's no weeds. There's not too many rocks. There's, you know, it's not been trampled. And and I think that we have, we all, in my opinion, have all four soils within us. We have, sometimes things work out really well and we're very receptive to God's message and to God kind of directing our lives. And then we see a lot of fruit and abundance and growth and love emanating from us and and healing. And then other times, you know, we are too busy. We're we're too pulled in a bunch of different directions. That's the that's the thorns and the weeds. And other times there's places that it's very shallow. We don't we're not giving we're not doing our due diligence to really stay settled enough to allow God to take the rocks out and and really work the mm. soil and harrow it. And the trampled the trampled yeah. stuff is probably where we're just blinded completely and and I just wanted to kind of let's talk a little bit more about this inner world because the inner world is actually all that, that is us that we can't see, which is an incredibly uh, huge amount of territory. It's just unseen territory. Yeah. No, that's so good. Yeah. Well, I, I wish that we had, you know, like three hours to ask you essentially <laughs> to talk about every single one of these, but I know I we're know. limited on time. So what I'll say <laughs> for folks is obviously they can go, grab the book and there's, you know, I think eight at least spiritual practices specifically that you talk about. So we figured we would have you kind of mm -hmm. highlight maybe two of them that seemed really interesting to us mm -hmm. and then again, mm. just recommend the book. So sure. uh, I'm, I'm curious, I think the two that we kind of thought would be really interesting, uh, one is sensory accounting and the mm. other being uh, the welcoming prayer. So mm -hmm. could you uh, tell us a little bit about sensory accounting? And while doing that, I'm sure it'll kind of incorporate like what part of our, our uh, inner life you're, you're uh, targeting, so to speak. Yeah. But could you tell us a little bit about that one? Yes. Okay. So yeah, at the end of each chapter, I put in a, something to do because it, it's not just a book that you read. It's hopefully a book that you take your time with somewhat and, and really allow it to change you. You kind of make a commitment at the beginning um, with the Quaker queries, which is how the Quaker communities allow themselves to be transformed and, and 
they create inquiry. Uh, you know, why am I here? What What do I want to change? What do I think God wants for me? And by doing that, they set a lot of intentions to move in certain directions that uh, allow them to be used by God and changed and healed. And as we get to this chapter four, which is called Chasms Within, and we didn't even touch on that. That's very juicy. <laughs> um, that's where mm. we talk about these core wounds that we all have and we all carry from uh, the time we're very, very young. And sometimes there's uh, difficulty or traumas in our life that that are no fault of our own. Sometimes mm-hmm. um, I'd say that's usually the case. And then there's just things about our personality too that can accentuate core wounds. And what I talk about is how that contributes to a kind of climate within our inner world. And that climate produces particular kind of weather. And when I talk about weather, I mean these temptations and afflicting thoughts and moods that can come in and out of our lives that are not one and the same as us, but they move through this territory within. And we don't have to be powerless to them, but we have to know that they're there and we have to learn in a way how to prepare for them and how to maybe do different things to heal from the wounds that are created that might change some of the climate. But the sensory accounting practice is where I begin to try to make sure people realize that healing isn't just something that happens as you talk things out or as you think through things, that healing Mm -hmm. happens in embodied ways and that we store trauma actually in non-lingual ways within our entire organism. And so what happens is when Another thing that can happen when people are going through healing or spiritual practices that create healing is they'll notice feelings and sensations in their body they might have not noticed, and they might notice pain they might not have noticed before. And this comes as Mm -hmm. a startling and sometimes very disconcerting realization, and maybe people will falsely blame themselves or think, I must be, there must be something really wrong with me. I've had all these aches and pains now. And that's actually because stuff is getting harrowed and and addressed and healed and getting worked on. And so the sensory accounting helps us to be in touch with our actual physical body instead of just being these heads that walk around from that are carried by our bodies and walk around from room to room. <laughs> we are actually whole organisms that have been used to getting split off all the time where we think our our brain or our mind and our body are two different things instead of thinking they're the same thing. So the sensory accounting is a kind of spiritual practice that's very physical. And uh, we tend to think of our physical body as not spiritual. But since we're spiritual organisms made by a spiritual creature or spiritual, mm-hmm. um, you know, divine, the divine is spiritual and we are spiritual too. That means that our bodies are also spiritual. And so this this kind of is a type of body scan, but it, it um, works through different things. So like in the first part of this spiritual practice is having you kind of think about your childhood and what ways you felt unsafe or fearful, and then take notes about how that felt and maybe where it was held somehow in your body. So I know for me, I had asthma as a kid. And when I was traumatized, sometimes I would have an asthma attack. 
or mm. I would hold things in my chest. And I notice now when I have a fight or flight response, I'll start breathing out of the top of my chest. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people do this. This isn't me. Some people curl their toes. Some people um, get stomach aches or get, uh, gastrointestinal issues, really, really common. So you're going back and you're thinking about how has my body responded to wounds and to trauma? And you're working your way down through uh, your body, but you're also thinking about the different times in your life that have been difficult, maybe with something like esteem and affection and appreciation, or with issues of power and control that have been wounds. And so we're integrating an awareness of these bodily sensations with wound and asking God to be present in that and acknowledging it, writing it, writing it down. So we're become more aware, but also we're doing this um, with an awareness of God's presence. So it's it can be very beautiful to know that God sees this and is with us and is guiding us towards wholeness. And this is another reason why you want to do this, I hope, with maybe a therapist or a spiritual friend or spiritual director who you can pray this through with, because doing it alone is is possible. I don't think it's advisable. And I don't know if you want to say anything to that, but um, as I'm, I'm pretty curious to ask you to a question, as you read through this, did you think it would be dangerous to read uh, to read this alone or to do this alone? Did you think it would be problematic? Or what are some of your What are some of your thoughts about that? Going into some of this territory. Um, yeah, I, I'll say uh, I I loved how much that you did highlight doing this with other people. I would probably recommend doing a lot of these types of things with other people, particularly if you're kind of digging into uh, past traumatic experiences, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Just from a sense of like. We know that we, uh, you know, have kind of that felt sense of safety with someone else as long as it's, you know, as you mentioned, someone you trust, things like that. Um, yeah. So to help kind of with the the uh, maintaining regulation and things like that. So, uh, you know, I think you, I think it would be helpful to do by yourself potentially. I think also there's, you know, maybe even just like an amplified benefit of doing some of this with other people, whether that's a mm. therapist or someone who like really knows you and you really trust. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I would – I mean, I would echo some of what Robert was saying, but I think in some ways like having had a spiritual director and a therapist for the mm-hmm. last handful of years and engaging in spiritual practices, I think from my own um, experiences, I think that it's one thing to read about this. Mm-hmm. It's another thing to actually go through it and to have a guide that you trust, as Robert was saying, like not just anyone, you know, mm-hmm. um, but really having someone with training and who you mm-hmm. trust to walk alongside you. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. I think that makes a big difference. And I don't know that I would say it would be dangerous, but I I do think that, again, just from, from my own experiences with contemplative practices, that you you can't prepare yourself fully for what will surface. There's mm. no like predicting, there's no controlling, there's no sense of like, you know, if I do this and this and this, then this is what's going to happen and I'm going to be fully prepared for it. I right. think there really is I think there really is a surrendering and a layer of humility and needing trust mm. needing to trust someone to come alongside you through that part of the journey that I think your book absolutely serves as a roadmap and can be one piece to come alongside, but also I think the gift of having a therapist, a mm-hmm. spiritual director, um, again, someone with with training 
I think is really important too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I, I guess think, uh, the, yeah. as Holly, as you were talking, I was thinking uh, essentially there's kind of an intensity thing that I was thinking about of mm-hmm. like, if you start doing some of this, right, I'm kind of recalling some of this past stuff mm-hmm. and it feels uncomfortable, but I, I also have a sense of like kind of maintaining regulation and this is uncomfortable and I don't love it, but I'm, I feel kind of okay. Mm-hmm is maybe a different thing than if you start doing some of that and then it feels like, okay, now I'm in like panic mode and I really don't feel safe and mm-hmm. there's like kind of that experience, then mm-hmm. I might say like, let's rope some some trained folks into this, yeah. um, if that makes sense. I think that's really well said. Both of you um, I are tracking with me. So that's good. I'm, I'm glad to, mm-hmm. to hear that. <laughs> well, so I would say to anybody who's listening to this, who's interested in the book, I say this in the book as well, but I, I think it's worth repeating that the book, if you hit territory in this book that starts to trigger you a lot, just skip that part until you can go through it with somebody um, a little mm. bit better, deeper, and more safely. And there's something for you in this book, probably anyway, and just move to that section. But it will, that that's kind of like a, you know, upset your whole life kind of, uh, hijack your whole life kind mm. of thing. And that could happen if you've been really traumatized and haven't dealt with it and and stuff. And then there could just be stuff that's just uncomfortable and you're not used to dealing with things that way mm-hmm. and you can push through it. But I would still recommend that you have a group, a small group, uh, or, um, and I'm, I'm happy to field some questions if, if people want to send uh, messages my way, if you're working through something, not that I'm a therapist, but I could point you towards someone or I can answer certain questions. Yeah. Um, and I'm happy to do that uh, if people reach out. I think it's important that if there's stuff there, we don't continue to pretend it's not there once we're aware of it. And it's not going to just get better if we ignore it. So <laughs> someone who was reading this book said, I had to stop at chapter I think seven because it was getting too triggering, and I and I said, yeah, I was wondering what if I made a book that's going to make everybody want to go to a therapist, and then I thought, well, that would be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Because yes. couldn't I? Couldn't we all use like how a lot of people like myself have gone to therapists because our parents didn't go, and <laughs> mm. had they gone, I wonder mm. if I would have needed to go. And if everybody went a couple times or, you know, for a period of time, doesn't mean it'd solve everything, but boy, you would have such an edge that you didn't have before. And I wish a therapist, a good paired match therapist on everyone because it, it does amazing amounts of work that you can't do by yourself. And I, I do hope that people find someone to talk to that's trained and professional about whatever has been holding them back. Hmm. Gosh, I just, I, oh, I was going to say, I have a smile from ear to ear right now hearing you say this, Lisa. And <laughs> I'm, gosh, I'm just so grateful for your presence and your words. Um, yeah. I had a follow-up, but Robert, I know you wanted to chime in too. Well, I was going to say, uh, just because I love kind of extended metaphors, I think it fits that there's some terrain where, you know, if I went camping out in a, kind of a local forest, I could probably do that by myself and it would be uncomfortable mm. just from like a, uh, that's not what I'm used to these days. Yeah. Then there's some, you know, kind of outdoor, like I could go rock climbing or whatever, and I would probably need to bring along some friends that had 
some more experience with that. Mm-hmm. And then if I was climbing like an actual mountain where potentially I could uh, I could die, then like I want somebody <laughs> yeah. who uh, is like a trained uh, yes, <laughs> what is it, a Sherpa or whatever? You know, like yeah. there's different levels mm-hmm. of terrain to navigate where I would need either. I could do it myself or bring some knowledgeable friends or I need somebody that like does this for a living. So I think that Mm. that kind of spectrum fits kind of with what we're talking about here. Yeah, great. That's really good. That's so good. Well, I I know I want to be – certainly be mindful of your time, but I would love, love, love to hear you talk a little bit about the welcoming prayer um, Mm. in part because – I know I already mentioned uh, Father Keating's stuff earlier, but I actually, I texted Robert a picture that yeah. I have the welcoming prayer right above my computer so that I mm. read it um, each morning just, you know, with whatever it is that's going to, you know, come my way. So, mm. um, so yeah, I would love to hear you talk about uh, that in particular and then anything else around chapter eight where you unpack it. Well, the welcoming prayer was something I've only been introduced to in the last few years, and it's revolutionized the way I allow reality to be what it is. Um, Mm. It's where you welcome, I, I guess you could say the, you allow the orientation of your heart to welcome what is. In the book, it describes where it came from and why. And the the woman behind kind of putting it together is one of these exceptional people that um, that people who knew her talk about her decades and decades later. She must have been such a force. But she um, was a good friend of Thomas Keating and worked in a community, worked and lived in a community and that was contemplative. And what it really is about is welcoming what is. And so you're allowing God to, you're, you're kind of turning off, in a sense, your desire to control a situation. And, and I don't mean um, your desire to want to control a situation. So it's, it's hard to describe because it might sound negative, like, oh, if you're in an you know, abusive situation, you should just welcome it. No, that's not it. But it's, it's kind of like in, in circumstances or suffering that there's nothing you can do. Our instinct, it seems, is to try to hang on like really tightly to the wheel or try to, um, we might think our anxiety or our worry or our concern does something to protect us or does something to change the outcome when of course it, it doesn't. It only expends a ton of energy. And what the welcoming prayer sort of sets us free. And it involves even noticing what's happening in your body and and sort of turning all that over. So yeah, it's on page 163. And you also listen to what she calls the commentaries happening in your body. So when she put this to practice uh, in a way, this is mentioned also in the book, she had this welcoming prayer going in her life and she understood it well and she would use it. And then one day she was walking around on a spring day and she was hit by a car and pinned to a wall in a crowded um, Mm. area. And, and she was in horrendous pain. Like she, she couldn't move out of the way of this car. They were, she was just stuck there, broken bones, really, really severe. And everyone was screaming and everyone was incredibly upset because this is like a horror that they're watching in real time. Mm -hmm. And she was also distressed, but she said, the welcoming prayer out loud, she said, I welcome 
the pain. I, I give up my desire to control the pain because she knew that in her body would be doing everything to say, no, 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 I don't want to feel pain. I don't want to feel pain because of course she would be feeling pain. And of course she would be feeling anxious and upset. Mm-hmm. And what mm-hmm. she was saying is not that she welcomes the pain itself. She, she doesn't want to have a desire to control it. She just is welcoming what is. It's here. It's okay. And I welcome it. And by doing that, you're really allowing yourself to be dependent on God and fully trusting. It's like a child fully trusting a parent. Like, I I know you're going to catch me when I jump in the pool, and I, I'm not even worried about it. I, I know everything's going to be okay. And it's just putting all your eggs in one basket. Um, and that's really what faith essentially is. Um, it's really a... So she just said, I... I I welcome the pain and I give up my desire to control the pain. And when we get into a situation, we can say something like, I give up my desire to control this outcome or these other people's actions or these other people's feelings towards me. Um, I say this prayer quite a bit, but it's the hardest for me where my Mm -hmm. core wounds are concerned. And so if somebody say a friend betrays me or there's a big misunderstanding, usually involving friendships or something. My desire to give up uh, the control of that, to not keep thinking about it, I give up the desire. That's hard. <laughs> I don't want to yeah. pray that. But if I if I do relinquish it, if I do relent, a burden is lifted. And so this welcoming prayer is something you you kind of get strengthened to, like you grow a muscle for it in a way. And mm-hmm. it is a, a very, I don't know, how would you describe it, Holly, when you have you have some experience with it? What does it do for you? Well, I mean, I think the way that you have described it is perfect. And the fact that you are really getting at that nuance of this isn't a prayer to bypass the, you know, the, the pain, the abuse, the mm-hmm. oppression, the various things that um, folks experience. Mm-hmm. It is not... I mean, and there's such a there's such a thin difference, but but I do think there's a difference. But I think for me, the experience has been, you know, really centered around that focus that you mentioned around releasing that need for control, mm-hmm. releasing, you know, the the you know, as he writes about, or as it's written around that desire for security and mm-hmm. uh, survival or affection and esteem mm-hmm. or power and control. Like mm-hmm. it's just remembering that for me, it feels like there's a, a stronger reminder that my life, if I can navigate it with my palms up mm-hmm. and, and trust and lean into that trust that I, I, it, it, there's, hmm. I don't know how to how to put words around it, but it just mm. that is that is the disposition of my heart that I want to be navigating my life with my palms mm. up. And I feel like this prayer, you know, having it above my computer reminds me of that. That it is it is not about gripping my hands tight in a fist. Mm-hmm. It is about keeping my palms up. So Yeah, that's beautiful. I I think one of the ways that um the spiritual life or, or spiritual uh, strength has been described as if we can be like water, uh, you know, water mm-hmm. is actually incredibly strong and powerful, but it also can move around things and mm-hmm. it, it has a different way of strength. And this, this welcoming prayer also says like, say for instance, um, someone, someone betrays me and I could 
allow that to master me and get get my head in a really bad place. Or I could say, and I probably will have to deal with some of that garbage and some of that wound, but I mm-hmm. could say, God, mm-hmm. I want to think about this and, I, and this is going to really trip me up because it has. But I know that this is reality. Whatever has happened has happened. And me thinking about extra, it's not going to change anything. It's just mm-hmm. what it is. And so I am welcoming you into this and I'm I'm giving up my desire to control it or by my thoughts or control how I feel. I just don't feel happy about it, but I'm not going to try to control how I feel or or do these little conversations in my mind or anything. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to welcome what is and then I'm going to turn the page because things are what they are. So I'm like water, I'm going to move around these stones that are obstacles and just keep going because there is no reason why I should get tripped up by reality. God wants to comfort and be with me. And God is my strength, not other people, not other people's ideas of me or, you know, what other people do to me isn't going to necessarily control me, but my feelings can really control me. So I better give over those desires to, you know, to white knuckle at all. And mm-hmm. so it, it is a really, it can be very difficult prayer to pray in certain instances. And it can also be sometimes really easy because you're like, oh yeah, I don't have to worry about controlling that. Okay. I welcome what is, and I, I give up my desire to control my, not, um, and I think that the difference is kind of what you said, isn't, if you're in an unsafe situation, you're not giving mm-hmm. up, you're not giving yeah. up safety. You're yeah. giving up the extra um, energy thinking about it all the time, all the time and um, do what is safe for you. But you also don't have to overthink. You can give up all those extra mechanisms that we do mm-hmm. that, that don't actually do any good. Oh, that's so good. Lisa, I really appreciate how you unpacked that so well. And Mm -hmm. one thing that I've heard always tied to this prayer too, is that this is a prayer that we pray within ourselves. It's Mm -hmm. not obviously something that we tell others like, you have to welcome these things and you have to, you know, (laughs) it's not, no, no, no. this is a deep inner discernment practice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing is that you, you have to pray it when you're ready and when someone else is ready, you won't know that. So you you keep it to yourself. Yeah, right, but that's right. the worst if people try to. Um, hey, I, why don't you welcome this in your life instead? That, that's some of the worst. No, right. That's, <laughs> that's right. Some of the worst advice. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Gosh, well, I uh, wish that we had just hours and hours to unpack all of these. Mm. But what I'll say to our listeners, if you want to connect with Lisa. You can find her at lisadelay.com on Twitter at lisadelay, Instagram at lisacolonedelay or facebook.com slash lisacolonedelay. You can also, if you want to listen to her podcast, you can follow Spark My Muse, Twitter at Spark My Muse, uh, Facebook Spark My Muse, or listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. You can get this book, The Wild Land Within, Cultivating Wholeness Through Spiritual Practice, wherever you buy books. You can connect with Holly at hollyoxhandler.com or on any social media at hollyoxhandler. You can find me at robert-vore.com or on any social media at robertvore. Lisa, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners? Well, I would love to hear from you, interact with you on Twitter or 
wherever else. Um, if you do read the book, I sure could use some book reviews on Amazon that would help get it in front of more eyeballs. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I also have a Patreon. Doing the podcast is just something I do out of pocket, but I have it supported through patreon.com forward slash spark my muse and i have supporters there and they get extra goodies and stuff so that's always nice to have uh, people journeying with me through the podcast thanks for listening to the cxmh podcast want to score some major brownie points leave us five stars and an honest review on itunes follow us on social media at cxmh podcast and email us with questions comments and interview requests at cxmhpodcast at gmail.com 